My name is Jack Outway, and welcome to another episode of Like Dragon, Like Sun. Uh, today is a special episode, and I'm so excited to have with me a special studio guest. This is a first uh, guest for our podcast, um, an interview with a vampire, uh, none other than Count Strahd Gonzarevich himself. Um, welcome, Count, uh, or should I call you Strahd? Um, actually, I'm not really Strahd. Although I have been playing him in a campaign that I'm currently running as a DM. Oh, well, it's disappointing. I'm starting to think of it. You kind of look familiar. Yeah, well, that's because I'm Jay, uh, co-host of Like Dragon Light Sun. Uh, welcome to this week's uh, episode, which is a celebration of the coming release of uh, both a limited edition uh, Curse of Strahd from Watsi in a collector's box set. Box set. Wizards um, of the Coast. Wizards of the Coast. Uh, as well as a Beatles and Grimm legendary edition of Curse of Strahd. And this is my favoritest, favoritest setting. It's something I'm running right now. I love running it. Uh, all this stuff is going to be coming out around Halloween time, which is like the spookiest, scariest, bestest time to be running Curse of Strahd. Um, if you know anybody who's got a birthday on Halloween, you should definitely get them this stuff for their birthday. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I suppose you are quite knowledgeable about this, so I, I think I could just reuse my Strahd interview questions. Uh, yeah. yeah. If you just, could just answer in your Strahd voice. Sure. Well, <clears throat> I would do my very best to <laughs> give you my Strahd voice. Um, but what are we doing today? I think we're providing some tips and tricks for those of you looking uh, to run this for the first time, or maybe if you're going up to do something like this this Halloween, uh, or maybe you just want to run it again differently. Uh, we've got all the tips and tricks for you. Even if you're running it for the first time, mm. here's some tips and tricks to up your campaign, uh, mm. definitely. But right. one major warning, uh, we have the big disclaimer this week. Yeah, this is this is a DM-only zone. Mm-hmm. Uh, turn back, lest you forever be trapped in the mists of the land of Barovia. All right, I think fair warning has been, it's been given now. So let's all hold hands, and as we walk into the mists, mm. is that how it works? Yes, yeah, that's generally yes. Everybody goes skipping, skipping and, and jumping. <laughs> la la la, we're going to Barovia. I'm so happy. Mm. All right, all right. If you're unfamiliar with the setting of Barovia, uh, very quickly, but you want to run it, you're excited uh, about trying out this sort of spooky gothic horror setting. Um, yeah, going into the mist is something that is terrifying. It's this idea that you've crossed over and that anytime you try to go back out through the mists, you walk into them and then the next thing you see is the road, the very road that you had been walking away from, you are now walking towards. So they just sort of do give you a, an old 180 and spit you back out, even though you feel like you've just been walking in a straight line. So there's there's no way to leave Barovia once you get there, mm. except if Strahd wants to let you go. I see. That's maybe our even question number zero. But question number one, uh, this is all safe for Strahd, but I'm sure my dad will suffice. Yeah. Um, 
Why do you think they're releasing this five-year-old campaign? Well, more than five-year-old originally, but the the new version now. Like, what's what's the point of releasing this new box set? It's all about the sensitivity. Um, recently, the uh, good people at Dungeons and Dragons have been trying to go back and correct mistakes they've made in their writing in the past, and. One of the places where they've been fixing that has been in the land of Barovia. Um, certain descriptions of things like the the Vistani, uh, who are described as sort of dirty, drunken gypsies, um, they've cleaned them up a little bit and made them made it less of a less of a less of a generalization of of them as a whole. While there's still a couple of drunk uh, Vistani floating around. There's also, you know, a, a wider selection, a range of, of good Vistani as well in the mix of things, although you never know which ones are secretly spying on you reporting to Strahd. Um, but yeah, they, they sort of fixed it so they're not, uh, they're not made to look as bad because, you know, I think that that's a thing we're trying to do in D&D now is not mm. make races all one horrible thing. But um, besides just rewriting some stuff what is in this whole new box set yeah well they've also fixed oh they also fixed esmeralda oh right who's got a um artificial leg Uh, she's a vampire hunter in training so to speak um and in the early days she would hide her disability but now she's more like you know disability proud so Mm. that's cool uh what is in the new box set so, um, just give us one second. Familiar, familiar scritches as he comes in to the door. Do you think Strahd has a familiar? <laughs> so, what's in the new box set? Um, all right, so we'll talk about the the Watsy one first, the Wizard of the Coast one. Um, comes in a, a kind of cool coffin shaped box. Uh, they've They've got some uh, nice DM screen in there, uh, big map, Barovia, with the castle on the reverse. And uh, they've split the main book into three pieces, one that's got the uh, Taroka deck card uh, explanations, and that's also in there, a really big version of the Taroka deck, which is sort of like a fortune-telling mm, uh, Sort of like a mix of, of a playing cards and yeah, like tarot, tarot cards, cards yeah. as well. And... Uh, and so there's one that explains that, there's one that's just the monsters, and there's one that's the module. And it's got some other fun things like postcards and handouts, um, stuff like that. The Beetle and Grim one, wow, it goes like um, even further. But it's, you know, six times the price. They've done a beautiful uh, battle map version of the castle, every single room in amazing, glorious detail. They've got the gorgeous uh, artwork of Devon Rue for all of their main maps of Barovia. Um, simply just gorgeous work. They've broken it out into all of the encounter cards are actual separate encounters. Like, they're actually on cards. They've got all the handouts done looking like authentic Gothic era, um, like lettering and everything. Just beautiful. Uh, D- DM screen some jewelry, and even scary little finger puppets. Ooh, Blinsky dolls. But yeah, why? Why? I mean, so much stuff like all around Curse of Strahd suddenly, which is crazy. I mean, given the, the setting's a bit old, but 
the same time, I find it the one of the most fun settings to continue to revisit. Mm. Um, there's so much you can do with it, so much that you can make your own. And that's, you know, that's definitely tip number one is when you're playing Curse of Strahd, make it your own. Feel. I mean, they give you a lot of possibility to do things like that, especially with the Taroka deck, just given how much chance you can leave it up to or how much you want to tailor that. Yeah, like, I mean, it's... I think the Taroka deck is so much fun to play with. Uh, rules is written. You play it only once or twice, but I use it I use it every game for inspiration and despair. I've got, you know, I found lots of cool things on DM's Guild that have got wonderful write-ups for every card that allows us to do way more cool things with it all the time. And I really mm -hmm. recommend that. I mean, it's such an, a fun component to playing Curse of Straw that you wouldn't have in any of your other campaign settings. Mm, yeah, it's it's true. I think that the Taroka deck is such a, a good tool for DMs. I mean, I've seen you use it. We've done like setups and even like digitally, there's ways you can do it quite effectively. I mean, it's not a necessary tool for any DMs out there thinking of running Curse of Straw, but even just doing it digitally or having a describing like pulling the cards and the images on the cards to your players just as a theater of mind can also be super effective uh and yeah there's other ways you can go about if you don't own the taroka deck uh there's ways you can repurpose a regular uh, deck of playing cards there's right up in curse of strahd for how you depending which card you draw what uh, the players get from it um but yeah, the the first main thing of the Taroka deck is it is it it's a fortune telling by Madame Eva, one of the sort of leaders of the Vistani, um, and she she basically tells you where the three most helpful treasures are going to be: the Sun Sword, the uh, Amulet of Ravenkind, and the Tome of Strahd. I was like the card where it's like the Diviner, where it's like she has it. <laughs> yeah, well, one of the places is that yeah, Madame Eva has it, uh, and so she turns it over. She's like, oh, by the way. And she like pulls it out from underneath like the bench seat that the care in the caravan or something and like here have the sun sword um yeah that's that's a real lucky draw if you get that one then you're mm -hmm. like huh well two-thirds of our our exploring is done yeah um, i mean speaking of the vistani you know yeah. just to, to move on to uh the next question i had for strahd um how do you run the vistani i mean we've talked a little bit about how they've been changed but how do you personally like to run them. I know they have some sort of unique relationships with Strahd and in the lands of Barovia. I mean, how do you run them? I suppose is my question. Um, right. So the old way was that, you know, that it was sort of written that they were uncivilized uh, or living outside of civilization. Um, and now they're simply listed as wanderers. I actually make the wandering portion of my Vistani. I mean, that's part of their racial trait that they actually um, begin to suffer uh, if they stay in one place too long. There are some Visani who break free from this and have been able to, you know, leave that um, sort of curse or part of their their heritage sort of behind. But for most Visani, they feel this, this impulse to keep moving, to keep traveling. Um, and that's sort of what allows them to, they've got a deal with Strahd from way in the past. They saved his life. So they're kind of, have got visas to exit <laughs> Barovia um, whenever they feel like it. Although Strahd, in theory, can close the borders to them too if he wanted. Um, and uh, I actually play it that Madame Eva, because Strahd is suspicious of her, uh, her visa has long been canceled. And while she moves around within Barovia, 
you won't find her outside of it. Um, but yeah, they, uh, I, I still play them as, as a people who like to party, um, that if you hang with the Vistani, that it's a pretty good time. Um, and they've got a lot of information and they are, you know, if you sort of play various games with them, they'll, they'll, uh, they'll share information with you. Or if you cheat, they'll curse you. Yeah, well, that's just it. Uh, players are going to find very quickly that the Vistani have the ability to bestow really minor curses. Like appearance alterations. Yeah. Like that's and, and it's a fun way to, if Vistani, and they really often are one of your first points of contact in Barovia, they may be the, the, the people that bring you, they may be the story hook that gets you into Barovia. Mm. And um, yeah, they... Uh, they have the ability they've got really like tough ones like evil eye that can be used in combat and things but they've also got minor ones where they can just mess with your teeth and make you look like a donkey um which doesn't have any major impact on you unless you're trying to make a persuasion check to like seduce somebody or something um but yeah otherwise yeah you, you will at some point have to find somebody to do or remove curse for you i don't know some people may be into jagged teeth yeah they might be um so so there's those sorts of things going on um yeah i i like the Bistani for uh for being glue in between various settings in Bistani. if you're likely to encounter them on the road and it's fun if the party can bump into some of the same Bistani characters again and again um, they can bring news of the other events that are happening across Barovia. They tend to be fairly plugged in. Uh, so, yeah, they're, they're, like, uh, they're really, I think, they're, the, they're a lifeblood in a land of vampires. Blah, blah, blah. I mean, you mentioned that you started off the campaign with, or not necessarily yourself, but that you can start it off with uh, the Vistani as a, a story hook that uh, grabs them in. And I suppose that sort of brings me to like my next question. What do you think? dms should start the campaign from i mean you speak about making it your own does it always have to start from the death house you know like it's is it changeable like how do you run right so the campaign module uh starts you in the town of barovia level one characters going through the death house to level up um i i don't think there's anything wrong with the death house apart from the fact that because everybody starts there and campaigns often don't run their full length that if anybody's had a taste of Curse of Strahd, it's likely that they've played the Death House, um, which is sad because there's a really big setting there with some really cool stuff in it. Um, the current campaign I've started, uh, I started them on the far other side of the map uh, in the west, uh, coming in that side of the map rather than the eastern side where Town mm. of Barovia is. And I set it up as a werewolf hunt. And again, the, the players were level one, and I was actually a little bit worried if they'd actually made a rush straight to the uh, werewolf den, they would have all been... Gobbled <laughs> up. Been a TPK for sure. Um, so, yeah, fortunately, we they coming in from that side, they stopped the town of Kretsk. They got in there. I added a little uh, mini module of my own. Well, actually, one I've gotten off the line, um, got off the internet, uh, the, which is like an orphanage 
uh, story that we've added into Kretz, which makes a lot of sense because the kids kids start to come into the campaign in the werewolf den as well. There's a whole bunch of them there. So having a place where the party can then take the kids back to in Kretz makes a lot of sense. So mm. they got to do the orphanage one. They got to do a little adventure inside Kretz where uh, a, a variation on how the burgomaster wants gets his son brought back they get there his son's already been brought back to life but he'd been dead for too long and although the the abbot has got sort of greater than normal raised dead powers like most time raised dead's what 10 days right i think so yeah yeah so the abbot has got sort of supernatural you know celestial powers his raised dead's a lot better i guess um he can bring things back past 10 days long past 10 days but and he warns people you shouldn't do that. Bad things come back with them. But, you know, bereft parents being bereft parents, they're like, and it will do anything. And so uh, he brings back Ilya, but <clears throat> Ilya comes back with an appetite and begins eating everything in Barovia, <clears throat> or at least everything in Kretsk. Right. And <clears throat> so then, yeah, you have to stop Ilya as well as meet the abbot and by the time they're done all of that they're level three. Oh wow so that was like three four sessions yeah <clears throat> excuse me that was definitely over multiple sessions um just to get out of kretsk so by the time we get to werewolf den now the party has gotten to level four mm. and yeah i leveled them up pretty quickly through the beginning but you really need to do that with your party when they get into Barovia. Um, the other option would be just start them at level three. Right. And they'll you can then you can then almost start them anywhere on the map. Um, well I say almost anywhere. There's a lot of things in the in Curse of Strahd that are really geared for level five to seven set of characters. And uh, yeah the baddies are tough. They come in big numbers. They've got massive bonuses. They will do a ton of damage. And if you play them really smart um, and learn how to like decide how to pick on your players, picking on the weak ones, picking on ones that um, the baddies can specifically target, yeah, you can you can really you can really do some serious damage. You can really torment the hell out of your party. And that's I think kind of what Curse of Strahd is set to do. Like I'm not saying you just go in and just murder your party you know but it, it definitely is one that lends itself to um yeah to, to being a tough it's it should be a tough right. adventure okay i mean that's sort of a par for the course of like the the spooky setting that is barovia um we talked a little bit about the taroka deck already um so i thought maybe we could talk a little bit about having the whole map in play like do you i know you've only sort of explored the west side of Barovia, but like, what are your plans when it comes to, um, you know, like, do they need to go everywhere before taking on Strahd? E no, no, they don't. They need to get, they need to meet him a couple of times along the way. Um, and that can be through random encounters or at specific places where he gets to toy with them a little bit. Mm. They, they need to hear about his power. Uh, they first heard about him with the abbot. They tried to fight the abbot. The abbot really, you know, proved that to be too tough for them to fight and then the abbot told him that you know he tried to fight Strahd and lost so they've already in their minds think oh Strahd's Strahd's way tougher than me um 
And so, yeah, you don't need to go everywhere on the map. You need to find the sun sword. You need to find the amulet. Right. You need to find the tome. And those things can actually be, like, you can either draw and have them randomly. Or and then you, try and streamline it from there. Yeah, you know, and streamline it from there. Or you can you can kind of clump them in one sort of region. Um, and, yeah, I've sort of, you know, decided there's a few places that we probably don't need to go. Um, there's a place called the Amber Temple, Temple uh, sort of up on the mountain. Um, uh, uh, there's the, oh, what's it called, Argon's Vault, the, uh, mm. where the Silver Dragon and the Knights sort of are. We're probably not going to end up in there um and we're probably not going to go all the way to the town of barovia um there's a few places like that just don't need they're probably not gonna yeah need to show up on this and whether the any of the other places do is is then kind of largely up to the players um if they can get all their pieces together they can feel tough enough um they have enough information uh, and they've recruited maybe even a few npcs to help along the way fantastic um and they can go yeah so i mean I, I just know that like campaigns like having an open-ended campaign that you're just going to run forever is wishful thinking uh given the challenges of you know 2020 and you know life beyond you know let's let's try and you know make it so that it's possible to get to the end of this game and, and truly the crown jewel of this game is ravenloft the castle where right. Strahd lives in you've got to get them there you've got to get them there uh, at least once. Maybe they go and explore it once, and that's not actually the time they confront Strahd. Maybe the first time to the... Um, I mean, they could end up teleported anywhere. That's it's quite right. Maybe you send them in with a fragment of a map that they follow to a particular thing, and then from there they're like bamfed out or whatever. And there are places in the castle that just teleport you to places. So, uh, And then they go back again for maybe the final fight mm, at another yeah. point. I think that's important to think of as making Strahd feel like almost like this legendary monster. I think like a part of that is his lair, which is the castle, you know? Like you think of uh, like, you know, ancient dragons yeah. that have their lair actions or things like that. And, and this extends a bit so, further yeah, as exactly. well because really in some way all of Barovia is his lair. Mm. So yeah, while the castle itself is particularly a point of power for him, he has a lot of power over the land no matter mm. where you are. So, yeah, it's kind of, it makes it a very special campaign setting when your big bad evil guy has got total control of the land around you, that everything you're on and doing, he's like, he is the boss. Wow. He is the ancient, he is the land. Yeah, I mean, that's pretty much one of the starting, like one of the big quotes, you know? Yeah, it's the opening line from his manuscript, I am the ancient, <laughs> I am the land. That's pretty fun. I think how else... Do you make him feel like a legendary monster? Like, what are the the things you you look out for? I mean, besides his obvious like massive lair, which is the lands of Barovia, if not the castle itself. Um, yeah. So the idea is, I mean, a lot of it is trying to get the history of Strahd told to the players. Mm. And in the original like version of this, that is the Tome of Strahd, where it begins. I am the Ancient of the Land, and there's a bit of a you know a blurb that he writes about sort of what's happened. Um, I find it a little bit flat. Uh, I don't think it makes him that bad, bad or scary. Uh, there's a really great supplement, though, on the DMs Guild, which I love. It's called The Interactive Tomastrad by the Assidious Adventurer. And it replaces that boring diary 
with a magical item. It's a book still. But as the players read the book, they sort of get magically pulled into the story. And, and it, it's not just, oh, we're just here observing. They actually become participants. And if you die in the story, you die in real life sort of thing. <laughs> um, and yeah, and it, it does, it starts, there's a, you know, and again, you can streamline this. You don't have to do every piece of his history, but you can start with seeing him as a boy. You can jump to a, like the um, encounter with the dusk, dusk elves, which is a big part of my story. I've spent a lot of time developing the dusk elves, which are a real open-ended hook within uh, Curse of Strahd that you can do a lot of things with. And, um, you know, you can pick and choose the pieces. You want it, you definitely want them, as you're going through it, though, to keep hearing about Tatiana and the various other women that Strahd has been in love with, tried to marry, and how it always, always goes really badly. Like, it always ends mm -hmm. with them either being killed or committing suicide. Um, and how the most recent one is Irina... And at some point, they should come across her. Um, that's that's really Curse of Strahd, and that that you start to find that this vampire's this vampire is cursed. Like he, he, while he may have all his power and stuff here, he too is a prisoner, and he too is being like it's almost like a bit of a Groundhog Day, but not just a single day he's repeating. It's like a Groundhog, like Decade. marriage yeah. cycle. Yeah, like just once he gets over, just about to get over. Um, the last one the new one is presented to him and he every time he thinks this one will be different this one i will beat it this time and um he another, never does yeah. yeah well another characters i mean even the abbot's convinced as well that if he can just help strahd get married somehow <laughs> that that will that will that will be it that'll be the thing that breaks the curse and frees not just strahd but all of barovia right and maybe the abbot's right or maybe the abbot is absolutely insane which is <laughs> probably more likely the case so like making him almost sort of more, I mean, not human necessarily, but more like emotional and not so cold. And yeah, no, I think he is, though, in many ways quite cold. Um, but it's better to show how Strahd's got his reputation, mm. um, which is why the book is good, because you get to see him being mean. Right. I think it's, <clears throat> it's good that um, they see him, they see him show his strength. That right. in times where they first encounter him, they only spend a couple of, you only need to spend a few rounds with him in the very beginning. Let his minions do most of the fighting. Let them try to make a couple of attacks. Let them, like, set it up so they can hit him. Have him stand there just, like, and let them go to town. He, not only does he heal uh, a ton of hit points at the beginning of his, his turn. Because it's the cold heart thing? Well, that's the other thing. He, he'll absorb, like, 40-some points. Uh, like up to he won't go full 50 because that'll break it but he'll take 40 points of damage and nothing will happen mm. magic damage nothing like you just you know the party throws a bunch of stuff at him and it doesn't even look like it scratched him right. and that's, and, that's like, and there's that, that sort spooky. of moment of like yeah. and it, and then if he buggers off like before they get past that buffer zone um you know, or if they, like I said, they do even a bit above that and he, he heals it back up again. And then he sort of decides at that point. He always, in my campaigns, he always leaves. He always insults me. He always tells them what a disappointment they are and how mm -hmm. how worthless they are to him as he leaves. Even if they had a really impressive fight. In fact, more the more impressive they were, the greater his insult to them is. Right. 
Um, and yeah, I sort of think secretly he's he's looking for, you know, new people to recruit to his his army. He's looking for new play toys. He's looking for new companions. He's looking for something, but um, mm. ultimately he becomes usually disappointed in everybody who shows up. Right. Um, he's a bit mean to them for sure. That's interesting. I mean, we've talked about like him him showing up in different places in the Abbot and all across the world. And you've talked about some places you don't want to send the players to, but I mean, what is the ultimate place you do want to send your players to besides the castle, of course, sure. but what's your favorite place, let's say. And I think, you know, I think this again varies from each campaign, each time you tell the story. Right. But yeah, um, I guess this time I'm really looking forward to the uh, Wizard of Wines, the winery. It's a vineyard. I mean, you can't help but sort of think, Oh, we're, you know, the players are going on a, you know, a wine tasting trip. And I've got them all stoked about the, you know, they've been looking for the um, Champagne de Stomp, uh, which some say doesn't exist anymore, but they've had it on authority from Madame Eva. I dropped a little hint early on that she believes that there are still a few bottles out there. And it, because it's so coveted and everybody keeps talking about it and every time they find a bottle of it, it's empty. Well, not always empty. Sometimes there's like things hidden in it. Like there's a, there was a, a treasure, a scroll of Hero's Feast um, in one of them. And they're going to find, I hope they're not listening, um, the Tome of Strahd in an uh, empty cask that's also labeled uh, Champagne de Stomp. Um, and yeah, so... I've even got like wine labels made up for each of the different um, mm. bottles and things. And, and yeah, it, it's kind of a, I don't know, it's kind of a fun setting, I guess, for, um, you know, getting them into, getting them into seeing for, for my campaign that there's a, they're in the midst of a food and wine crisis. So, you know, in Kretsk, uh, Ilya eating everything was causing a, a food shortage um, that they now realize is compound is going to be worse because the Kretsk people are now going to have to hunt and then there's werewolves out there. So hopefully now they can deal with the werewolves to help people of Kretsk with their hunting better. And so there's this sort of compounding sort of like everything is kind of interconnected. And, and of course the wine supplies are running low everywhere. And now they're going to go and try and figure out why that's going on. And mm. they're going to sort of see like all these pieces are interconnected and realize that actually behind it all has been Strahd, um, slowly just moving tiny little pieces that introduce all of this sort of suffering uh, to everybody without, you know, he doesn't have to mm. storm around the lands being yeah. violent, that he can he can cause a lot of things, bad things to happen just by, by making very small little moves, giving a, a child a particular locket or giving a witch a particular information where a gem might be buried or, you know, these tiny little manipulations. Um, that cause misery. That, yeah, then uh, compound into... Uh, yeah, giant food shortage. Mm. Um, so yeah, that's that's gonna be a fun place. Um, I think they'll be they'll be running around looking for uh, that. And of course, um, I've already tipped them off a little bit. They found a book in a library. If they do really, I find if my players do a really great investigation check or really great history check, right? If you roll like over twenty five, if you like hit over twenty five, you've already got over twenty five. Well, I think somebody had like a plus something bonus. Oh my god, it's like a plus. They might have a plus six bonus maybe rolled a 19 or 20, 20. like a net 20 oh, wow. and then so you're like okay yeah. um so one of the books they found in the and i wasn't planning to find anything but you're like eh, what can we give you and so i found out uh, they found a manuscript written by uh 
uh, a now deceased um, uh, Kreskov, who once mm. owned the 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 vineyard, the Baron Kreskov. Uh, and yeah, he had written a book about um, you know proper food and wine pairings and the storage of which. And he talks a bit about the advances he's made in refrigeration using brown mold. <laughs> Uh, and so that tips that the players idea. off to the fact that there's brown mold mm. in the vineyard, which is hidden behind a secret door, and they could easily miss it. Right. Um, but it, I find like fun ways to do that. Like if you're, you know, if you understand your your story, and I think if you're running Curse of Strahd, you need to read the whole thing. Um, there's so much there. Right. You need to know the places and understand them so that you can help interconnect them with, uh, with little tips and little pieces like mm. that. Help them find... The, the, the fun stuff in there um <laughs> i've always loved the idea of brown mold just like throwing it in the elemental plane of fire yeah wipe the whole place out just like yeah planar destruction i mean if you don't know what brown mold is look at the hazards in the dungeon master's yeah guide. You, you won't find it in the monster manual although i don't know why it should be with the oozes it should mm. be and so should green slime uh, i don't know why they're not there yeah I mean uh, that's a discussion for we've had this discussion before had this discussion before Absolutely. but uh i thought you were gonna talk about werewolves i mean you set it up that way yeah you know? werewolves right what about werewolves um i love werewolves they're um they're a very important gothic component like how many stories have we seen where there's like vampires and werewolves right mm -hmm. so in this obviously the werewolves are the poor cousins the they live on the land and and uh far from the castle of, uh but um in my storyline, again, tweaking it a little bit, the uh, the players start out knowing, like they they start out um, in Daggerford, um, you know, south of Waterdeep, in the you know Forgotten Realms, Faerun setting, and the werewolves have been going out and getting children, like stealing children for a while, and they find out that this is because there's been a bit of a leadership change within the werewolves that a new leader, Carol, has emerged as old man Stennis has sort of retired. And he had a, a challenger named Emil. Uh, and Emil wasn't crazy about the, the methods that Carol was using. Carol uh, wants to get, gather as many children as he can and have them more or less all fight to the death with only the strongest ones being in, brought into uh, the werewolf clan. Emil preferred Emil. Emil. That sounds more like a name. Emil. Yeah, what am I saying? Emil. Emil, like Emil. And, and what are you saying? It. Emil. Emil. Emil's good. Yes. Emil. Emil. Uh, Emil is is thinking uh, that he uh, he only wanted to steal children or things like that when they needed to replace members of the werewolf pack. Uh, his mate Zuleika would prefer them not to steal children at all anymore. But uh, and so yeah, I, I, I've got this sort of werewolf story built up a lot more. Where uh, like even in as written, mm. Emil, Emil, Emil. I wonder if I want to pronounce the e harder. Emil. It looks like that. So Emil. we should do Emil. 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 That's a name. Emil. I think Emil is a name. Emil is a name. I, I like the name as well. Emil. Emil has been locked up in the dungeons of Caf Castle Ravenloft. Find him. You can. Is it like the little submerged? Yeah, he's place. in the underwater, the half underwater mm. uh, dungeon uh, in the basement, the flooded basement that obviously somebody needs to work on the plumbing down there. Um, 
yeah, so he, Strahd's intervened, uh, pulled Emil out of the contention. Kirill is now running amok. And that's what sort of drawn the players in. And it's been great. I think it's been a fun way to um, to really boost up that end of the, the map and to make that the beginning sort of part of the story and the hooks in there. Uh, I was actually playing with them last night. They've just fought in the den. Uh, they... But I, I, I changed that a little bit as well so that they met Zuleika and they found out about the story of, of all this has taken place. And they've gone with her leading uh, a pre-dawn raid where they managed to get the a surprise attack on the guard and they managed to get sort of in deeper into the cave before the alarm was sounded. They managed to get sort of into a much better, more strategically advantaged position for the fight uh, where they weren't you know, where they weren't sort of easily uh, outnumbered and overpowered by the pack tactics of the wolves. So uh, that that made it, yeah, really helped them on their fight enormously. Uh, but I've got it set so that the whole pack's not there. The hunting pack, Kirill and his six strongest and a bunch of the their wolves, um, they're out getting more children. And they will be back soon. And the plan is that they're basically there to free the children that are in the cages. And they've actually been, they've known about the children for a while. They've known about them since they left the very episode, session one. They heard about more of them when uh, they were in Kretsk. Uh, some of them disappeared from the orphanage. And uh, yeah, so they've, they've come across this. They're going to free those and we'll see what they do with them from there. Hopefully they'll get them back to Kretsk. Uh, without too much trouble, but I love that the that whole werewolf sort of mm. end of things, and getting that getting the kids back to Kretsk will sort of end that portion of the arc, uh, the sort of the werewolf arc, and it right. will sort of get into back into more of the the food and famine, the wine <laughs> the wine shortage arc. That's super interesting. I mean, you I know you've made a lot of personal changes to your curse of Strahd's just tweaks, setting. really. Just, but small just tweaks, making it, you know? owning it, like, you know, like, owning it, right? But what other changes? I mean, in the lore, you brought up Dusk Elves earlier. I mean, I wonder what changes have you made to them? Like, like what do you do to incorporate them into the story? Right. So uh, we've got two elf characters. Uh, one's a wood elf. One was a sort of outcast high elf. Um, partly outcast because he wasn't as pureblood high elf. Uh, his grandmother was a dusk elf. And that caused quite the controversy. Um, and so he's uh, he's never understood his heritage terribly well. Dusk elves are always something of a, of a mystery to everybody. Uh, and they are a bit in the game as well. They're not, like you have to, if you're going to dig up the lore, you're going to be digging it from past editions because 5e doesn't, doesn't have much. But there's lots of dusk elf stuff out there for you to go and, and draw from. And... Um, and so there's a there's a bunch of dusk elves, um, all men, marooned in Curse of Strahd. Um, the last female dusk elf was his grandmother, who escaped. So now he's sort of back, and he's reconnecting with. Well, he hasn't actually met any other dusk elves yet, but he is going to, and he's quite excited. But we, what he doesn't know is, um, uh, what's his name? Uh, Radine, Radine. The uh, Rahadin, the sort of right hand man of Strahd, is a dusk elf, and he betrayed his people uh, sort of long ago. 
so we've got this sort of uh you know there's this bad side to the dusk elves as well and we're going to get into the the whole massacre atrocity uh stories with that and um one of the other characters keeps having his his he's a warlock and his patron keeps sort of calling for the heart of a dusk elf to be sort of made as a sacrifice and uh i was like i'm seeing like how far i can try and push him to see if he'll he'll attack one of his companions in the party or once we present him with the option of taking out an evil dusk elf mm. whether he'll be like he'll suggest let's get him instead um so that was been kind of fun um and yeah once they get pulled into the interactive tome uh they're going to be part of a group that's required to round up all the dusk elf women and i'll give him a chance at that play at that point to to meet his grandmother as a younger dusk elf and he can either attempt to stop her uh or let her go uh and i suppose if he stops her and kills her then we created some sort of terrible paradox where he's does going. it actually change the timeline no no i suppose it doesn't um but uh but yeah i think it's a fun one of those fun sort of timey wimey <laughs> mind game things to play uh uh you know fantasy game whatever um but yeah uh so it'll be that there'll be rahadeen who's a, a dusk elf as well but again it's this is something that the curse of straw doesn't give you a ton more information on so i've just you know i've just gone and looked up lots of dusk elf things that i can incorporate into it and right. uh, have some more fun with that portion of it i mean there's also kresk 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 yeah which you talked a little bit about yeah so there's a creepy orphanage there Mm. Um, which uh, is off of uh, Reddit. There's a great username, um, Mandy Maud. And if you go to the Curse of Strahd Reddit, you'll find loads of her stuff. She's re done a write-up, a, a revision for every place on the map. Mm. And she's had a couple things in. Uh, her her orphanage, she sets it in Valaki. Um, I moved it to Kretsk. I think it, it works just as well there, maybe even better and especially given my players have come from in on that side of the board and there's a whole children component early on and yeah and i used hers and, and basically use that as my sort of variation on the death house sort of thing giving the players a quick mini adventure the pretty easy sort of low level demon um for five of them to team up on and if they're smart and they know how to read if, if only one of them can read celestial they're pretty much it's pretty easy to beat um if, it had, if they hadn't been able to read, read Celestial, that might have gone differently. Uh, the, the demon did manage to down one of them. But, I mean, level one characters. I mean, even they were level two, maybe at that point. You know, it doesn't take much right. to knock one down. Um, but, yeah, so they've got this demon trapped in this Celestial locket, um, which, oddly, they didn't manage to ask the abbot about at all while they, was, they were there. So, anyways, maybe they will go back and talk to him. Maybe they won't. They talked to him about a See? bunch of things. They just didn't <laughs> like him. He was too creepy. Yeah, I mean, you did kind of play him pretty creepy. I did. I play him. I a lot of my the the, the baddies in this are I play super creepy. So mm. I mean, you mentioned celestial as a language they yeah used. I mean, in general, I know the lands of Barovia are a little bit different from Forgotten Realms and all those other stuff. Even yeah. though they are sort of interconnected, well, I, what languages? And if you've got newer players and they like no. and they're yeah, on D and D exactly. Beyond and they're like, hey, and you get to pick one of these languages and they're like looking through and going, oh, Minotaur sounds like a good idea. No, Minotaur is a terrible idea. <laughs> you will not find a Minotaur anywhere in Curse of Strahd. Um, and so, yeah, I think this as a DM, it's kind of useful to audit your players and the languages. So 
when our elves were picking Undercommon, which is, again, for players even who are experienced, Undercommon's a good one to pick because there's a lot of people who speak it, right? So in, you know, in a broader campaign setting, it might not be a bad guess. Where in this one, I'm a bit like, okay, guys, look, we're not going to, you're not going to need this. So instead, here, can I recommend a couple things? I gave our half dusk elf, uh, half high elf, uh, he, uh, he had Paterna, uh, and Paterna is the Vistani language. And then you can find write-ups about this online. And that was kind of fun to give him that one instead. And, and that, you know, it incorporates a bit of Thieves' Cant and things. He's a rogue, so it kind of makes sense that they've got this sort of, like, Creole language. Well, um, that's a real language, right? Or a real dialect, no? Creole? Creole is it's an amalgamation of languages. Is it? Yeah. Is that just a general term? It's a term that ex explains okay. uh, how languages are put together. And so, yeah, it's, it's, it's a bit fun that they've got a bit of this, that the Vistani have a, this sort of Creole that they use when they're telling jokes and mm. you know, making fun of other people, this little bit of coded language. And that he, he, he could use that to help uh, get the party into the Vistanis with, uh, you know, with sort of a warm welcome. Um, there's also a lot of witches. There's Barovian witches, there's hags, there's all sorts of things like that floating around Barovia. And I sort of decided that they give them an older sort of language um, right. uh, called Velthexa, which I sort of stole from... The Critical Role, critical role narrative, narrative Telephone. Narrative, yeah. <laughs> um, and it's sort of a, basically Velthexa means force witch. It's, uh, it's the old language of Barovia, old Barovian, if you will. Um, and that made sense that the Druid had that one instead of Undercommon. Um, and it also kind of fixed another problem. Several places in Curse of Strahd, I don't know why, but it uses, it says Druidic is a spoken language. Where everywhere else in D&D, Druidic's written, mm. right? Right. I mean, I, I always imagine it as a written language. I'm pretty sure that's how it says it. In it's like the, little, I almost yeah. imagine it's a little, you know, the way that people used to put little directions and they had their own sort of language of different symbols to which other druids could look at to you know move yeah. about or mark places or things like that you know there's a there's a point and they get to the winery that they find this druid and he's kind of crazy and he um you know he's he yells out in druidic something like you know nature bows to my every whim i have the vampire staff mm. and the staff matters um but he does so in druidic which is kind of nuts in my mind like so instead of anywhere it's where it's in curse they of Strahd, speak druidic where they yeah. say it in druidic they that's, it becomes that's now Veltexa. Cool. i like that and so that kind of fixes that wizards of um wine's uh, problem it fixes the druids of it they all speak it and the brovian witches will all speak mm. it and there's things like that so you've got a player now who who can natively speak to these people. And because he's a druid, it kind of makes sense. It all fits together kind of right. nice, I think. Um, so yeah. It's cool. I like that. Um, there's also something I've introduced the game called uh, the Barovian Almanac. It's like this old document. And almanacs, if you don't know what they are, they're a superstitious device book that farmers would use to predict the weather. Like these things would be published years before or like a year before any like weather forecast possible. There's also things you. like sports almanacs. And yeah, yeah. There's uh, those maybe a little bit more like retro. I don't know. You're right. Maybe they predict as well. But the um, the the farmers almanacs were very forward looking. It was like best time to plant, best time to go fishing, best time to you know month by month the cycles of what to do. 
And so this is very much that way as well, but it's, it's very old, this book. Interestingly enough, though, because of the very repetitive nature of, of Barovia, mm-hmm. like I said, Strahd's sort of stuck in this repetitive cycle. Um, and while he has control over the weather in Barovia, and it's almost always rainy uh, or snowy or whatever, it does have sort of seasonal variances to it. It does move through seasons. Um, throughout the whole thing, there was like one day marked on the calendar coming up. Uh, it's a little ways off um that it'll be partly sunny oh and that will be those things those times only happen while strahd is sleeping in his coffin which just happens to also be uh when the players will plan to attack and they're supposed to find him in his coffin that's what the it's been foretold so i'm trying to line kind of all of those pieces up that's kind of cool. I uh, like that. Yeah, uh, but also in, in the almanac, there's um, recipes for things. We've got some people with like proficiency in herbalism. So uh, there's a recipe as a cure for lycanthropy oh, that's in there nice. as well. Like a short term, like if you just got it. Type yeah, thing. if you've just had it, uh, you've got to find a few ingredients. They've they've already found one as a random encounter. Oh, wow. Um, they need a couple more, but their locations of those things shouldn't be too hard to find. That's cool. I love that almanac um, idea. That's so, that's clever. Did yeah. you come up with that? Yeah, that's or was that? That's, oh, wow. That I love mine. that. That's so, great. and I'm slowly actually writing it and building it and illustrating it. So hopefully at some point it will be in the DMs Guild. Who knows? Very cool. Um, but yeah, it'll be my own little addition to the Curse of Strahd world. I like that. It's great. I think that's a good place. We've been talking for nearly 50 minutes now. Right. Uh, with my guest Strahd. I mean, sorry my dad hey blah, and blah, blah. yeah I, I i have not been so knowledgeable on curse of strahd in particular and i know you've been getting super into it and we've played a couple you know test sessions with me to test out different mechanics but i, I think that was really enlightening i hope enlightening for some of our listeners on the wondrous world of the curse of strahd yeah it is and it is deep i mean once you get into this it, it's strange because a lot of campaign settings are so big like eberron is gigantic mm. that i don't think as dm you could you can really know every spot in eberron and it's not meant to know every bit uh, or every bit of the forgotten realms or whatever it's fine you just you know you play, play where areas. you are you know exactly. like icewind dale you play in 10 towns in the yeah. surrounding areas exactly, exactly you know it's... whereas when you'd play curse of strahd it's finite but it's still big enough that there's a lot of things going on, a yeah. lot of things happening. And I think as a DM, it's you do a real service to your players if you can master all the different places and everything that's going on. And then spend some time. Go on go on to Reddit. Go on to some DMs Guild. Go on to these places. See some of the other things that people have written up. See some other people's arguments of why they think the scene doesn't work or how they might want to make the scene better. You don't have to do it their way. Do it your way. Um, you can do it straight out of the book, or if you can sort of think, oh, actually, I have a cool idea of how I can link these three locations together uh, with mm. a sort of plot line, um, do so. That's that's how you play Curse of Strahd really well. Yeah, you make it your own. But the only way to do that is to begin with by mastering the material of really understanding Curse of Strahd. It's a fun, it's a fun setting. It's an easy story, really. Um, you know, mm. vampire gets girl, vampire loses girl, vampire turns evil and kills everybody. Like he doesn't need a vampire to begin with. Uh, the vampire thing came after the death of Tatiana. Um, that's that's what broke him. And he's been broken ever since. Poor Strahd. Poor Strahd. 
Just give him a hug. All alone in his big castle. He just needs love. Yeah. If you see Strahd, make sure you give him a hug. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's really, if somebody had just hugged him more as a child, it would have, it would have saved a lot of misery. Mm. Was he always a vampire? No, no. I said How did he become a vampire? Um, so there's, there's a, that stuff's all revealed at the sort of Amber Temple. There's uh, some powers uh, there. Uh, there's a, a creature called Vampire, but with a Y. Uh, it's sort of a, I think it's a possibly Archfey type creature. Um, at least in my settings he is. Um, who, yeah, who bestows the undying afterlife powers on Strahd. So he's not he's not some sort of wimpy little I was made by somebody else type vampire. He's he's a yeah, he, his powers are bestowed by like supernaturally bestowed. Mm. I suppose what you just brought up there sort of creates a paradox in my mind because it's an archfey, but it's also granting you the undying sort of powers. And so if I were to create a warlock, would it be an undying warlock? Or a Archfey warlock. Yeah, well, and I think this is, I mean, this is a bit the the twisted nature of the Gloaming Court. Um, or whether the vampire isn't really Gloaming Court at all. Maybe he's more Shadowfell. Uh, maybe, and this is where we talk about the dark powers that encase Strahd. I was serving the dark powers as a little less nameable, a little less, mm. uh, they're more mysterious. And I sort of find that the demiplanes they create that encapsulate these evil creatures um, is like an oyster creating a, or a, yeah, an oyster creating a pearl that a creature like Strahd is seen by the dark powers as almost a threat, almost something a little bit dangerous. Um, and they, so they put it in a bubble. They <laughs> sort of encase it. And so while the demiplane probably floats closer to the Shadowfell than anywhere, um, that it's, it's not part of it and that the dark powers well, they can reach in there and manipulate and dick with things that um, they're not, they're not Strahd's friends. Mm. They're dicking with him as much as anything. So, Cool. Thank you for enlightening me on, on Curse of Strahd. I think that this week's episode, it's been, I mean, a world of understanding. I mean, I, I love the changes that you've made. And all, I've seen all the research that you're doing and all the tabs you have open and the things you prepare each week. And I'm like, oh my God, so much going on here. And I have to thank you as well for allowing me to, to bounce ideas off you and say, can I do this with the Daroka deck and this and this and this? And you're like, whoa, <laughs> hold your horses there. You got some new players at the table. I'm like, yes, yes I do. And I need to be careful mm -hmm. not to overwhelm them. So far, so good. So far, so good. I think you've been doing a great job of running it from what I've heard. I mean, I'd have to speak to the players to see yeah, what they're exactly. thinking. But Well, <clears throat> yeah, we had a long session last night. See, everybody seemed to enjoy mm -hmm. the the Wolf Den fight. So. Yeah, I mean, from just like running my own campaigns and hearing how you're doing, I think you're a, a brilliant DM. Well, thank lucky you, son. You. Um, no problem, Strahd. <laughs> blah, blah, blah. That is our episode this week. Thank you for joining us. Uh, my name is Jack Oway. And I am Count Strad van Zarovich. And we will be returning to you next week with another episode of Like Dragon Sun. Wow. Wow.